Raphael, what's up, bro? How's it going, man? I'm excited. Uh, well, it's going good. Actually, you don't know this. <laughs> this literally just happened. Um, as you were trying to figure out your uh, internet computer situation, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in the office uh, slash studio slash reading room slash everything else it does in my house. And uh, our doorbell rings. And I'm like, crap, did we get, like, did we order something on Amazon? Dude, we ordered these two chairs for the office, like these two, like, very, very large chairs that were supposed to get delivered yesterday, and they just got delivered just now. Oh, wow. And they're on the front porch, and Tamara and I were like, crap, we got to get these in before I start recording. So I have two giant chairs on the bottom floor that I got to get up to the second floor somehow. And that's what I got looking forward to. So are they going to be in your office? Uh, yeah, they'll be in the office. The, they're like, you know, like lounge chairs, like sofa chairs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, that's great. Pretty, pretty excited, except for the cry, except for the fact that I got to, you know, carrying them up. Yeah, just be careful, man. You're going to have too much excitement on your Saturday. Mm, mm, all the excitement, all the excitement. Well, folks, probably remember Raphael. You at least, I hope you recognize his voice. He uh, he was one of the early podcasts. I remember I I reached out to him cold on LinkedIn when I first started the podcast, and we've built a great relationship since. I actually visited him in Louisville, stayed at his place a couple months back, or I guess last month, yeah. and. Um, him and I were chatting. So basically the book club episodes that we've done have uh, positive responses, probably an understatement. I had people from high school texting me, be like, I love what you're doing, dude. I'm like, whose number is this? I don't even know you. Um, so we're going to do a lot more of that. We did Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, a couple weeks ago. We, we did the one thing several months ago. And this week, tell the folks what we're doing. So we're going to be talking about The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Uh, it's definitely one of the books that's had a profound impact on my life. Uh, and e- even those last two books that you mentioned, The One Thing and uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, I mean, both phenomenal books. So, I mean, the trend is is uh, positive in nature. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. So a little background on The Compound Effect and myself. I've read it a couple of times, but the last time I read it was probably a year and a half ago. And I purposefully didn't reread it. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know not remember every single aspect of the book, but you reread it this past week. So you're, you're fresh, ready to go. Got some notes and yep. everything. I took notes. It's been great. Yeah. So as far as the compound effect goes, I think the main idea that people take away from it is that small actions compa- uh, every single day compound into huge results. Uh, and one of the things I loved about the compound effect that really kind of resonated with me is that the examples that he used, because I'm, I'm a pretty visual type person. So if you can give me an example of how these principles apply, it makes it a lot more relatable to me. And therefore, I can actually go about including them into my life. Uh, and so one of the the, the main things, uh, I think one of the first examples that he shares in the book, which really was what drew me into the book and had such a profound impact on me when I was 24, I had just moved to Puerto Rico. I was working as, as a software consultant for a company. Uh, and I didn't necessarily know if that was what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I mean, I saw all these billionaires and millionaires that are doing huge and grandiose things. And I just assumed because they were doing these high level things, I, I couldn't accomplish that. They had some talent or something else that I just didn't have. And so after reading this book, and in particular, this example, uh, it really kind of struck a chord with me saying, oh, like, I don't have to have a significant amount of talent. All I really have to do is just be consistent and persistent over a long period of time. Uh, and so one of the examples that he uses is that let's imagine there's three friends right? They're the same height, same weight, uh, same job. They have $50,000 a year job. They have a fam- same family situation. Literally, they're almost identical in every single way. 
the first individual decides to cut out a soda with lunch uh, every day uh, because he wants to kind of trim up a little bit. The middle guy decides to kind of remain with the status quo. And then the third guy decides, you know, I'm going to have an extra drink at the end of uh, the day just to kind of relax and unwind. Fast forward six months, there's really no change, noticeable change at least. And so the first guy is kind of frustrated because he's like, you know, I've cut out soda for six months and I haven't really seen any results, but he just decides to continue along with along the path. The middle guy who hasn't done anything has the same results as he did before. And the third guy is literally in the same situation, even though he's taking another alcoholic drink every day at the end of the uh, at the end of work. However, when you fast forward 18 months, you start seeing significant changes like if you do the math on it, uh, if you cut out a soda every single day for 18 months, it ends up being like you lose 30 pounds or something like that. I can't, I didn't do the exact math, but uh, it's somewhere along those lines. So if you, if you go from lose from 180 pounds to let's say 150 pounds for the average person, that's a significant amount of weight loss. Uh, and what does that lead to? That leads to more energy. That means to more vibrancy. And that leads to with having more energy. Let's say he decides to start working out three or four times a week. That further compounds his results. Uh, the middle guy is just kind of stuck where he was before. And then the, the other guy had gained, has gained 30 pounds. Uh, so that means less energy uh, and less energy to produce at work, less energy to engage with his kids and his family. So his family life begins to suffer. And so you start seeing this noticeable like acceleration of results, either in the positive way or the negative way. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that that's like one of the first stories in the book that kind of caught my attention. And I mean, really had a profound impact on the way I viewed the world. That's so interesting because I remember reading that and I remember reading that example and thinking, man, that's such a good way to articulate what what you said, being persistent and being consistent equals. And let's let's be real. All of us suck at being consistent because oh, yeah. <laughs> we're human beings. Yeah. Um, but the idea of just such a small change having such a profound impact in the long term you know, I think it's something that we are taught or told by people in our lives, our parents, et cetera, but putting tangible examples to it really changes the the way you think about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and if you, th I mean, you like you said, we see we see these examples of these millionaires and billionaires out there and you're like, how the heck am I ever going to be that way? You know, especially when you're in college, you're not making any money, you're broke. You're like, okay, like how the heck am I Bill Gates makes like I think I read somewhere back in the '90s, like if Bill Gates dropped like a thousand dollar bill, it wouldn't be worth it for him to come pick pick it back up because he would already need the money by the time he reached over to pick it up. So, like, could you imagine? Like, how do you how do you get to that point? You know, how do you even con conceptualize something like that? And it really comes down to the fact that I mean, Bill Gates from an early from an early age was consistently working in computers. He had a fascination with it, you know. So from an early age, he worked and worked and worked and worked, and it just so happened that 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 inflection point happened to him when he was a little bit younger, but that's because he started when he was like seven or a six, you know, like he had this fascination and consistently performed these actions until there was that inflection point. So, yeah, it, it's about figuring out what, what you need to do to reach a goal over and over. But so, but what about when you get discouraged? Because you said at six months, there's, I mean, there's no results. Yeah, you, right. You've given up, you've given up soda and this dude over here is boozing and you look exactly the same. How do you, how do you keep going past that six months to get to that 18 months? So he, he, he does talk a lot about that in the book. It, it, he, he talks about finding that why. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Like, is it, is it I, know, I know in your case, it's, it's, it was when you were talking about how you didn't want to let your dad down because he was your accountability. So you, you didn't want to say, oh, I didn't make my calls because if I, you didn't want to come to your dad and say, I didn't make my calls because then you'd feel like you let him down. 
same thing with me, it's like my family. It's like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint, not necessarily disappoint, because I, I don't think my family will ever be disappointed in me, but I, I don't want to take lightly the sacrifices that my family made for me in order to put me in a position to be successful. So whenever I think about that, it's like, what would, I mean, my grandfather didn't complain when he was in, in Australia working as a laboral, laborer in order to essentially become a citizen of Australia because in, in, in World War II Italy, when he left, when he was 16, there were no opportunities. Like he wouldn't have complained. I mean, his, his situation was way worse than what I've ever experienced. So it's like, that keeps me pushing forward and saying, you know, like if he, if he would have been able to do it, if he wouldn't complain about it, I, there's no excuse for me not to do it. But you ever wonder if the reason that we complain and whine so much in our society is because we've got so many options. Like your grandpa didn't have much of a choice. Like, hey, you're either going to work in Australia. Mm-hmm. You probably didn't speak English. He didn't. Um, or, <laughs> or you're going to starve to death. Like you don't really have much of a choice. Whereas here it's like, oh, we can do this. We can do that. You know, like life's pretty comfortable. And I'm just going to Netflix over here and hang out. Like, I don't know. I thought about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, they talk about of, what necessity being the mother of innovation, like just like if you mm-hmm. if you have this and that's why you see all the like you see some people that are just motivated because of the past that they've had, like significant changes in their life that was negative. So, for example, like I know Dave Ramsey always talks about how he went bankrupt when he was like 28 and he lost everything and he almost his marriage almost mm-hmm. got diluted and everything. And that kind of was his I've had it moment and that triggered him to go down a path that now he's an extremely successful individual. But it's really, I, I believe in that I've had it moment, or I believe in that, like, finding that why to really keep pushing you forward. Uh, so that, that's really, I think, the defining factor. Because, you know, if you don't have a reason to do it, why would you do it? Like, it's a waste of, it's a waste of energy. Well, and I would take it even a step further. Let's use the Dave Ramsey example you gave, um, because you said he's an extremely successful individual. Now, in fairness, I mean, he was a millionaire by 25 in the 80s. Yeah. So from what I understand about his situation is he had hundreds upon hundreds of rental new units at one point, but, but the way he was gained, like the way he was attaining them was not shady. I don't want to say that. It's just, there were certain things within from a tax code standpoint and from a banking standpoint you could do back then that you couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then from what I understand is the bank that he was doing all these loans through got bought by a bigger bank and there was a call on his loans yeah. and that's what bankrupted him. Yeah. So I think for example, with his example, it's more of a paradigm shift from maybe, and I don't want to speak for him because I don't know the man, but maybe from greed or or, or impatience to um, seeing the bigger picture from from a long term game standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that that was a contributing factor. Um, and yeah, I mean, once you start seeing success like that, especially rapid success like he was seeing, I'm sure it's an aphrodisiac. You know, I mean, yeah. I, oh yeah, I would imagine if I'm making that much money when I'm 25 years old and it looks like everything in the world's working for me, I would be wanting to do that same thing over and over, you know? Well, and you start thinking you're invincible. Yeah. I mean, at that age too, I mean, even, I mean, I don't know, like when I was 21, I mean, there's very little I couldn't do that, like, you know, like, especially physically or, or anything else that, I mean, now, like if I, like, for example, going out and binge drinking or something, like I would, you know, like now it's like, I, I can't even conceive it because my hangover would be so bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I totally get it. Yeah. All right, back, back to the compound effect. So so that first example, you know, it uses the example of uh, the, co- the the soda, the the beer, the person not doing anything. How does, so how does the book move along with basically the storytelling and the, and the lessons that, that you're supposed to learn from it? Yeah, so I mean, uh, once he, once he kind of introduces the concept of the compound effect, um, 
he introduces also the the concept of choices. Like what you choose to do really defines who you are long term. So whether or not you want the compound effect to apply to you, it will apply to you. So if you choose to do something negative, the compound effect will work with you like in the third example where it's just a downward spiral versus like you choose to do something positive and it, it increases your 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 results over time. And what he says in order to modify your choices so that it is more positive than negative is to start tracking your results. And I think we've, we've I mean, it's, it's definitely talked about a lot in different uh, books and, and various seminars, I'm sure, but really it works. So for example, if you're a salesman and you want to produce more sales, you should start tracking how many calls you make, mm-hmm. you know, or you, you should, and you should start tracking like of those calls, how many convert into appointments and of mm-hmm. appointments, how many convert into closed sales. Cause then you start getting a repeatable, repeatable, uh, what is it called? System in place that you can say, okay, well, if I make X amount of calls, this will eventually convert into this amount of money, you know? And so then all of a sudden you can start tracking like, okay, well, if I want to make this amount of money, then this is how many calls I have to make, or this is how many appointments I have to be on, you know, or, or whatever, you know? So it makes it a little bit more consistent. Um, same with like tracking food, or like if you want to lose weight, you want to track how many calories you, you, you take in every day. By tracking it, it puts it at the front of your mind. And therefore, it's like, okay, like my, my resting metabolic rate, like I know that if I, if I eat under 1800 calories, I'm going to start losing weight. So maybe eat hundred calories. A pound of fat is thirty five hundred calories. So if you if you essentially eat four hundred calories less each day, within nine days you'll have lost a pound. You know, so it's like it 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 becomes more of a math problem at that point than um, just like a willpower because it's like oh man I haven't done this like I haven't been able to see any results within the last like x amount of days. But if you're able to track it in some way and assign a numerical value to it, you can see right away oh it it is having an impact because this is what it's saying. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And, and, you know, writing things down. So uh, there's a guy named Jim Effner who does training for financial advisors. And he came and spoke to my office, I guess, a couple of years ago. I remember he gave the example of the the most, I'm going to butcher this, but he cited some study mm-hmm. that was done somewhere in Europe. And the most effective dieting weight loss tool was forcing an individual to write down their weight every single morning when they wake up. Apparently, psychologically, what happened is, like you said, keeping it at the forefront, but even taking it a step further than the tracking of the calories, because that's obviously a part of it and what you put into your body and how much you exercise, et cetera, et cetera. But actually writing down the weight, you can't run from that number every single morning. And, you know, as we talk about the compound effect and and talk about that persistency, you know, it's like when you're, it's like when you're young and broke. So think about this back in college. If, uh, if you had a night of spending a crap ton of money, um, probably more than you should have, what's the last thing you want to do spend the any, next day? Spend any money. Well, I would say check your bank account. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, but, but, both I'd say. Yeah, yeah. But, but why? Because you don't want to up to that point, it's almost as if it's not a re- reality. But the moment you check your bank account and you see the new number, you, it, it is you have realized that reality. Oh, sure. And, and that and that um, anxiety that comes from that. So, sorry, didn't mean to hijack the. No, no, I hundred percent agree with what you're saying. I mean, it, it's it's pretty profound. Like when you ha- and this is, this happens in my life. Like I have a coach that I work with on a weekly basis, and 
it's so funny how it's like he asked me like these questions and the answers sometimes that I receive, like you say about consistency, I mean, the answers that I give them, it's like, okay, well, this is the situation. Like, this is the reality. And it, it sometimes stings because it's like, you just didn't perform like you were, you said you wanted to. And this is the reality. And so you have to come to terms with it and saying, damn, like, I, I just didn't, I didn't perform like I thought I was going to perform. Like, now I have to readjust. And now I have to really per- try to perform better next time. But sometimes the harshest truth is reality. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty impressive. So why do you think that's things so much, especially in a sales role? So you're in, you're in commercial real estate, yeah. you know, I'm in finance We're we're both glorified salesmen, <laughs> like, like most professions. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we don't like to think of it that way, but that's really what it is because you've got a product, if you've got a solution, you got to go find a problem and then offer a, a solution to the problem and you want to do a really good job at it and, and be proud of it. Oh yeah. Um, so it's very performance driven, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you don't bring in business, you don't eat. Yep. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but why do you think that truth hurts so much that when you don't perform at the level you, it, and then you still sometimes don't do it the next time? What is, what is the block there? Well, we, I, think, I think what it really comes down to is that we, we don't ever want to view ourselves in a negative light. You know, we always see, have this idealized view of ourselves and our, and our abilities, but when we don't perform at a certain level, it's really hard for our ego to accept that we just didn't hit the mark. And I mean, there's some, there's some value in, in having a strong ego because obviously you wouldn't be willing to do the push through the, the rejection or adversity you're going to face if you didn't have a strong ego, you didn't have confidence, you know. But at the end of the day, like you also have to temper that ego with reality because it says, okay, look, like you're maybe not good in this area right now. Like what are you going to do to address it? But that takes you, that takes you, that takes a little bit of, humility on your part to be able to say, okay, you know what? I didn't perform at the level I wanted to this time. Like what can I do in the future to make sure that that doesn't happen again? So, so I don't actually remember, but does Darren Hardy talk about the ego in compound effect? Uh, no, I mean, he, he talks about like consistency and, and how people get disheartened and the, the disheartening factor he mentions is it, you have to have a why you have to have a reason why you're doing it because if that bit, if that why is big enough, you're willing to kind of do whatever you need to in order to succeed. I just kind of drew the ego example from various books that I've read. Like, um, what was it the Jordan Peterson's book? He talks a lot about the ego and and how that kind of affects our yep. our day to day activities and how we interact with the world. And so that was kind of insightful. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think ego plays a huge role into it. Definitely. So. So let's go back to 24-year-old you. Mm-hmm. You read Compound Effect for the first time, which was what, four years ago, seven years ago? Four years, yeah. Or not, no, not seven years ago. Four years ago or, or three years ago? Yeah, four years ago, yeah. Okay, four years ago. So, so what is the actual tangible effect that it has on you when you originally read it? The tangible effects? Uh, yeah, like how did it change the way you thought then? Well, I mean, it, it, I became less re- reactionary and more like – results focused. I was just like, okay, well, you know, like I don't want to let life happen to me. I want to make life, I want to take action so that my life transforms in a way that I want it to be, you know? And before it was just kind of like, oh, you go through the motions, you go through school, you know, you do your homework and, you know, it was, it was very reactionary. You just kind of like accepted whatever came at you and just try to do what you could. And, uh, at the end of the day, it's like things will work out, but it, it, it shifted my mindset and saying, okay, like all I have to really do is do a few things every day consistently. And at some point I'm going to, I'm going to hit an inflection point. I'm going to hit a point where it just blows up. So that, 
that's what that's the shift it made. So I started being very diligent about my morning routines. I started being very consistent. Like I started writing uh, on a regular basis and started blogging. And that's kind of led into writing the book. And then after I wrote that first book, I was like, oh, I can make this into a series. And so I started writing books and books and books. And now my most recent book is going to be out in January. That's my fourth book in four years. And they're not small books. We're talking a couple hundred pages each, you know, so almost 300,000 words of unique content in a four year period. But that's because I was consistent about it. I said, okay, 500 words a day. That's what I'm shooting for. And that, that, that was that Ooh. mindset shift that happened. And so now I'm, I'm trying to apply the same thing in, in, in the commercial real estate realm where I, I try to hit a certain amount of calls a day, um, even though it sucks. And, and a lot of sometimes I don't hit it, you know, sometimes, like with my coach, he, he, he holds me accountable. He's like, you know, you didn't, you didn't do well this week. But, but it's that consistency over time that really makes an impact. Okay. Okay. So I, w- I want to go back because you and I have talked about this before, and, and I think we talked about it in your original episode, but let's talk about how you went about, and you touched on it a little bit, how you went about writing your first book. Because look, most people would like to be a published author. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Right? And, and it opens doors, um, it opens it's, doors it's, too. Correct. Like it, it's a, if you're, if you're at some event or you're at, you're somewhere, and you don't know what you talk about, what to talk about. You can always say, well, I released a book recently. <laughs> That'll open up a conversation. So what elaborate a little bit more on that process? Cause I think that process um, is really interesting of how sure. you did. Yeah. It. So, I mean, once I read the compound effect, I really got in a personal development kick. So I started reading a lot of different articles and blogs and everything about just personal development, improving your life. And then I thought, well, you know, let me start writing a book. Let me start writing a, a blog, essentially, about these different concepts that I'm learning. And so I started writing a blog article every other week. And it was about 1,000 to 1,500 word articles. And so I did that for about almost half a year. And when I was looking back on my, my blog, I'd, I'd gotten a lot of people to say it was very helpful. And I was very thankful that, that I was able to provide all this information. And when I looked back, I was like, wait, like this, I can make this kind of flow together. And then when I counted up the words that I had had done, it was like 35,000 words. And a 200-page book is about a 50,000 words hmm. around that. So I was like, you know, I pretty much have a book here. Like, why don't I just round it out with another 15,000 words focused on one of the topics that I really find interesting? And that's how the book came to be. You know, it started off as just a bunch of blog articles bl- moved together, rearranged, made everything flow together. And then, yeah, th- that was my first book. That's so interesting. So basically, you you already had the material by the time you wanted to get to the book. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was pretty much done. Uh, I mean, I I was probably about a month or two out of finishing a, a book. Obviously, I had to go through the editing process. And then uh, there's always that doubt that creeps in. And, and so for a few months there, I didn't know if I want to release it because I didn't want to get negative feedback on the book. And, you know, but- Ooh. Okay, talk about almost killing your compound effect because you didn't want to get negative feedback on the book. Talk about that. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because like that almost killed all the work you put into it. Into oh it. yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think what it really came down to is that who am I to publish a book? You know, who am I to say that I'm a published author because I I release this content uh, for other people? I mean, most people that publish books, they're they're really accomplished. They have like all this different uh, experience under their belt, and they're they're kind of talking from those previous experiences. And I was writing the book from a perspective of like I'm a millennial. Uh, I'm trying to implement a lot of these techniques into my life, and these this is how I've I've done it in my own life, and these are some of my experiences, and then these are the things that I'm shooting for, you know. So it's I was speaking a lot more from a different perspective than maybe maybe they were 
speaking from because it was more of a reflection on their point versus me. It was like me actually being in the thick of things. But even then, it's like you, you don't believe that you're worthy of, of producing something like that and, and, and just giving it to the world because it's like, oh, well, Oprah wrote a book like I'm not Oprah or, you know, so that was kind of yeah. it was kind of that internal strife that I was experiencing that um, that kind of almost put a stop, like you said, to my compound effect or Mo is what he describes it in the book, like the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not Dostoevsky, so I, I can't release a book. Yeah. Or, or, or Mark Twain or somebody, oh, sure. which if they had thought that, you know, we wouldn't have crime and punishment and we wouldn't have, you know, Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so back to the book, because I remember when I read your book for the first time, I'm just remembering this now, when I read your book for the first time, um, you mentioned compound effect in probably like the first paragraph or something along those lines. Yeah. Like it was, it was really, really, really early on. So having reread it this past week relative to uh, maybe the first time or the first couple times you've read it four years ago, was there anything that you perceive differently now that you're four years more mature, four years more down the road? You've done a couple things since then that maybe the first time around you didn't get the same way or, or, or maybe it bypassed you altogether? Uh, yeah, I would say one of the big things is, is understanding that the change is hard. Like people always talk about like, Oh, like I hate doing this. Oh, I hate doing that. Um, but the, the, the difference between people who actually achieve something and those who don't is that they just do it. Like if you're successful, you're probably going to hate the exact same thing. Someone who isn't successful is, is, you know, there, there's probably going to be a lot of correlation between the things you hate to do and the things you like to do. However, the people who actually achieve whatever they want to achieve do it anyway. You know, they, they choose to suffer through it to make it happen. Mm. So that, that that's something that now that I've been able to kind of suffer through some things, like the, the, the tediousness of writing, the tediousness of editing, the tediousness of reaching out to people to try to get speaking engagements, the constant rejections. Now that I've experienced that and I've seen a little bit of success, I realized that when people ask me, like, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? It's like, I just mm. did it. You know, it, it sucked. It's not fun. I didn't enjoy it, but I just did it. You know, like they, they're, they're look, I think, I think people try to look for like a magic pill or something that's going to magically happen in order for them to get where they want to go. But at the end of the day, it's not fancy. It's not, it's not a revolutionary. It's, it's pretty simple, but it's, it sucks. It's not fun, but it, it, it'll get you where you want to go. Well, I guess that's the hardest part just for young people, you know, millennials, the 35 to 25 age group mm -hmm. we are we are used to that instant gratification um, mm -hmm. that's pretty much what we grew up on and deferring that gratification and just believing in a process and doing something over and over again is just not very easy to us mm -hmm. yeah especially when you receive rejection because rejection just really sucks yeah it's not fun it's really not fun and but, it, but I'll, go ahead no you go ahead no no well, I was going to say when, when you talk about your speaking engagements, getting rejected for speaking engagements. Okay, so you getting rejected for speaking engagement sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but how much? How does it feel in comparison to when somebody says, "Yeah, come on"? I mean, it's great. I mean, the, the ability to get in front of people and share your message is, I think, one of the most impactful things you can do because all it takes is one person in the audience to kind of have that light bulb moment, and it's, I mean, their life can be changed, you know, and it's not. That, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. 
just just to be able to have that. I've had people come up to me after speaking and, and they're just like, wow, like I never thought about it that way. You know, like, you know, just random people that, that were in the audience. And I was like, well, thanks. I mean, I, I hope that that helps you because it helped me. And so just being able to communicate that message in a way that kind of resonates with someone in the audience is, is pretty impactful. Well, well and, and back to that compound aspect of it all, you know, when you have those positive experiences, that's what keeps you going through the negative experiences. But you can't get to the positive experience unless you expose yourself to the possibly negative experience. So, oh, yeah. So back, back to that example in the very beginning of the book where it's, you know, you getting rid of the soda and the other person adding a beer. Those first six months are a negative experience. You would look at that and say, why in the hell am I doing this? Mm-hmm. But you can't get to that 18 months without going through those first six months. And, and that just mental game you have to play is, in my opinion, what Compound Effect does a really good job of is because he, he just throws so many good examples at you to where by the end of the book, you're like, well, I give up. Uh, just yes. Yes. I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that simple. Touche, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to share about the book? I mean, we've, we've done a pretty deep, deep dive into it without actually reading it to folks, which obviously is the hard part of mm-hmm. this whole book club thing is we want to talk about the book, but at the same time, we want people to read the books, which by the way, there's a link in the, in the description. Uh, go ahead and hop on Amazon, get yourself a copy. It's, it's not very big, but it's super impactful. Yeah, I would say, I would say three, three quick points, uh, that, that I just wrote down as notes and I thought were pretty, pretty impactful. Uh, number one is, is the discrepancy between the top people and the, the rest of the the pack. So I think one of the things he says in the book, that's pretty profound is like, there's not a really huge difference between the number one person and number 10 person, for example. So he talks about like how in a golf tournament, uh, the number one golfer and the number 10 golfer are only separated by 1.7 strokes which over four rounds is like not even a percent difference. However, the compensation difference is staggering. It's like five times difference. So number one, number one guy makes like 10 million while the number 10 only takes home like 2 million. So just being that little bit better can really have a huge impact on obviously your finances, but it can also have an impact on everything else in your life. You know, that, that slight uh, compensation impact on performance is, is huge. Uh, so that was one thing that I thought was pretty impactful. Uh, another one is, is, and that kind of correlates to improving a little bit every day is that let's say you set out to make, I don't know, let's say, let's say you were, you want to do a hundred pushups a day because you want to improve your, your, uh, your, uh, life or your, 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 yeah, you want to get healthier. Physique. Well, yeah, exactly. So yeah. even doing like 10 pushups more a day just significantly compounds your results. So he gives this example of like a magic penny where that doubles every month, it doubles every day for 31 days. And how if you if you were to take this magic penny and, and have it over 31 days, you would have like $10 million on day 31. Hmm. But if you were to now add just four more days of compounding at the end of that, so you do an extra few push-ups, do an extra few sales calls, do an extra few reps every single day, then you're compounded results on day 31 would be seven, $171 million. You know, so the, 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 the significant impact on those little extra every single day is, is huge. And then finally, now that we've talked about all this information, he, he finishes the book with like an example of knowledge is just potential. So, you know, in physics, mm. they talk about potential energy versus kinetic energy. 
like if you were to grab a ball and lift it up 10 feet in the air, it has a decent amount of potential energy, right? And and the the acquisition of knowledge is that that lifting of the ball to the high, to a certain height. But if you don't if you don't let go or take action, you're never going to experience any significant change because you haven't taken that that kinetic energy, it, the potential energy isn't transferred into uh, kinetic energy. So that's kind of the, the, I guess the final talking point is that now that you've heard this information, take action mm. because otherwise it's not, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the hardest part. I've heard somebody, I'm trying to remember where, um, where I heard this, but uh, there was somebody that said, yeah, like the self-help industry and the self-help gurus basically just help mental masturbation. We're like, people just constantly are absorbing new information and and nothing actually gets done because they get paralyzed by all by all the new information and you know i'm guilty of that at times where it's like oh man i got all this new stuff and then it's like oh where do i what do i actually do stuff yeah i mean and, and that's that, that's kind of the thing is just pick something do small action just do it well and, and that's what i was telling a guy uh in my office here recently he was like hey what, what would you do if you if you could go back to me like what would you do and i was like dude i would pick one thing to get really freaking good at just one thing you, you don't you don't have to be an expert at everything just get just become an expert at one thing because it'll keep you from being paralyzed so that's oh sure i guess a call back to the one thing by gary keller uh <laughs> um rafael any anything any final words you'd like to add on i think we've uh, exhausted the topic as much as we can at this moment yeah i mean i think i think we did we all did a pretty good job of, of kind of highlighting the the benefits of the book so definitely check out the book and i mean it's just been glad great talking to you um looking forward to collaborating in some way in the future too you you want to uh do a quick pitch for your upcoming book or anything else that you've got out there oh yeah i mean so i have a book uh that's that's called the millennial playbook paving your road to financial freedom uh, it's it, it it's one of my one of the series of the millennial playbook books uh, it's going to be talking about personal finance topics for young professionals uh, and that's going to be out january 15th 2020. If you're in Louisville, Kentucky, come by. I'll, we'll have a launch party uh, on January 22nd. Should be a good time. Awesome. Is it on pre-sale already? It's it's on pre-order right now. Yeah, on Amazon. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll put the link in, in the description for that as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, man, enjoy the rest of your Saturday and um, we'll, uh, we'll put this bad boy out. We'll put the link to the compound effect on the Amazon site in the description as well as always millennialmanhood.net or millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com i'm working on updating the website right now make it maybe a little bit more user friendly uh, maybe get a new domain that's not as long all that good stuff i'm tinkering around with stuff and uh, also there is the potential for a millennial manhood blog to come about um, i've had a couple of people reach out to me about wanting to do some posts that they would like to contribute to the to the millennial manhood website without actually, you know, a lot of folks don't, don't like getting recorded and I could write some stuff as well. So we're working on that, figuring out the details, figuring out what might be the best schedule on releases and things like that. But outside of that, Rafael, thanks for coming on, buddy. I, uh, I'm glad we got to spend some time together this Saturday and we'll chat soon. Sounds good, man. It's good talking. <laughs>